It's after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Thank 
Jam in the AM. Shalom Rav at Shalshelis. Before that, Eitan Freilich with a brand new single, Lahodo. Shalom Aleichem. You heard Yoel Sharabi, Mordechai Ben David, Avramel, and David Dardashti with their versions of that great selection from our from the opening of our Shabbos meal tonight. And of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Friday on this July 7th, the 13th of Tammuz. Second Shabbos coming up for uh, most campers out there. <laughs> Boy, the summer goes by quickly. 13th of Tammuz, the year 5777. Shavasar Batamuz is coming Tuesday. It'll be a fast day this coming Tuesday. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Balak with candle lighting time at 8.09 on this Erev Shabbos. 8.09 is your official candle lighting time. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 70 degrees, 95% humidity, winds in northeast at 8 miles per hour. Morning rain with a high of 81. Then tonight, partly cloudy, a low 71. Tomorrow, partly cloudy, a high. Shabbos, 89 degrees. Yerushalayim is at 81. Guilford, New York, our friends at Camp Misora, where Girls Campus, I am told, has won Zimria as of last night. That was the big news. They won last night, Zimria. 64 degrees up in Guilford, up at Camp Misora. We're at 70 here in New York City as we say good morning at um, JM in the AM. want to acknowledge and thank our friends at Bedford-on-Park. We had an amazing afternoon there yesterday. Bedford-on-Park is the brand-new Bedford restaurant at 61 East 34th Street in New York City. We actually met a group of people, among a lot of people dining there for lunch, a group of people who are there practically every single day enjoying the lamb bacon, which was incredible, the seven-ounce eye of rib, which was remarkable. <laughs> Such good dishes, amazing. Uh, the classic burgers we had and the brisket sliders, which were amazing. A lot of great things going on at Bedford-on-Park, 61 East 34th Street in New York City. Uh, check it out if you have an opportunity. It's the northwest corner of Park and 34th. Uh, you'll see it there right next to the entrance to uh, Mendy's Restaurant. And um, we thank Bedford-on-Park. You'll see some of those videos. Uh, if you didn't see the Facebook Live video from yesterday on the Nahum Siegel Network uh, um, feed, you will see uh, more videos as we post them in social media based on the visit we had there yesterday. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, JM in the AM. I thank you so much for tuning in and being part of this. Don't forget Malcolm Honline. He's going to be uh, joining us. 7.40 Eastern Time with the weekly update. Lots of news to discuss this week. So we'll do that. And um, Rabbi Yudin, of course, at 8.15. 9 o'clock for Naomi Nachman and Table for Two. Lots happening here at the Nachum Siegel Network. Thanks for listening. Erev Shabbos, no better place to be than with us here at JM in the AM.
next performers are an encore performance from a time for duets. Please welcome Shalshelis and Shalshelis Jr.
Salcellus and Salcellus Jr.
J.M. in the A.M. Viala Call, that was Simcha Liner, of course. Here on a uh, J.M. and A.M. Friday morning. Uh, coming up, the weekly update at 7.40. We're just 40 minutes away from uh, starting to analyze the uh, news of the week. And there's a lot of news out there, that's for sure. Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He'll join us coming up with the weekly update, so we'll have that for you. Candle lighting at 8.09 in this era of Shabbos Parshas Balak. Before Simcha Liner, you heard Yisrael Juskowitz with Shalom Aleichem. You heard Micha Gammerman. We did a lot of Shalom Aleichem th- Aleichems this morning. Micha Gammerman had one. You heard the Shalshelis medley from Hask 25 and the Shalshelis medley from Shalshelis Jr. Uh, a lot of Shalshelis as well in hour number one this morning here at JM in the AM. Morning rain with a high of 81. A lot of visiting days uh, Sunday. A lot of camps have visiting day. Enjoy it. If you're up there, enjoy visiting day, if, no matter where you are. Up in camp. No matter which camp. Um, so that's visiting day 5777 for a lot of camps. And otherwise, uh, enjoy a wonderful Shabbos, no matter where you'll be during these summer months. Hopefully you'll have a chance to relax and take advantage of the slower season, if there is such a thing at this point. Uh, it's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listeners' sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at uh, com on the NachumSingle Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. <laughs> Galay Tzal in the background. I don't think that's our news yet. Want to thank our friends at Bedford on Park, Chef Alex and company had an amazing time there yesterday. If you go, if you want to have what we had, uh, you want to start off with the um, tuna tataki. You want to enjoy the Bedford burger. You want to check out the seven ounce eye of rib, which was incredible with a uh, unique rub only found at Bedford. Um, what else did we have? Oh, the lamb bacon was incredible. That really was incredible. And the dessert, the coconut creme brulee, was pretty remarkable. So that that's what we had. You could check it out at 61 East 34th Street in New York. If you're out of town, if you're not in the New York area, but you're visiting at some point this summer, check out Bedford-on-Park, 61 East 34th Street. Make it part of your um, part of your touring of the New York area. Galitzal is, in fact, in the background. News is coming up. Galitzal and um, later this hour, Malcolm Honline. 
with our weekly update. Galitzal Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday follows next. We say Boker Tov from JM in the AM. גליצהל השעה שתיים, כנועם אווירה ממה שקורה עכשיו. הפסד לישראל באונסקו. ארגון החינוך, המדע והתרבות של האו"ם הכריע כי מערת המכפלה והעיר העתיקה של חברון הם אתרי מורשת פלסטיניים. בעד ההצעה הצביעו 12 מדינות, שלוש התנגדו ונרשמו שש הימנעויות. שגריר ישראל לאונסקו, כרמל שמה הכהן, אמר לגל"צ כי מדובר בעוד החלטה מבישה של הארגון. הפלסטינים יכולים לחגוג באולם בראשות ראש עיריית חברון, תייסיר אבו סננה, רוצח טרוריסט שרצח בדם קר שישה ישראלים בשנות ה-80, אבל ממשלת ישראל תדאג שלא תהיה להחלטה הזו שום משמעות בשטח. הם לא יזכו לראות שלט קטן של אונסקו באתר המדובר. בישראל תגובות חריפות בעקבות החלטת אונסקו. כתבתנו אליל שחר. נשיא המדינה ראובן ריבלין אמר, ההחלטה של אונסקו מוכיחה שוב שמדובר בגוף שנחוש להמשיך ולהפיץ שקרים אנטי-יהודיים בעודו דבק בשתיקתו, בשעה שהמורשת האזורית נמחקת על ידי קיצוניים ברוטליים. שר החינוך בנט ציין שהקשר היהודי לחברון קיים מזה אלפי שנים, ואף הצבעה לא תשנה זאת. המרוץ לראשות מפלגת העבודה, יצחק הרצוג ואראל מרגלית הודיעו על תמיכתם בעמיר פרץ בבחירות לתפקיד יושב הראש. ממסיבת עיתונאים אמר פרץ כי ראש הממשלה נתניהו גרם לציבור לאבד את אמונו בשלום. הישראלים שהפסיקו להאמין שהשלום הוא הדרך הנכונה יחזרו ויאמינו כי כולם רוצים שלום אבל בנימין נתניהו וחבריו מייאשים אותם כל הזמן מנסים לומר להם שזה בלתי אפשרי אנחנו נחזיר להם את האמונה שהדבר הזה אפשרי כתבנו עידו בן בג'י ומיכאל האוזר טוב מוסרים כי עד כה הודיעו שלי יחימוביץ', שאוד ברק והתנועה הקיבוצית על תמיכתם באבי גבאי. הטרור בסיני, במתקפה באזור רפיח נהרגו עשרה חיילים של צבא מצרים. כתבנו ג'קי חוגי. לפי הדיווחים מסיני, מתאבד הגיע למחסום ופוצץ את עצמו בקרב החיילים המצריים. נוסף לעשרת ההרוגים, יש לפחות 26 פצועים, מהם כמה קשה. מספר הקורבנות עלול לעלות. החשוד המיידי הוא ארגון מחוז סיני שנשבע אמונים לדאעש. בהמבורג שבגרמניה התחדשו ההפגנות הסוערות על רקע פתיחת ועידת המדינות המתועשות, ה-G20. כתבנו נתנאל דרשן. על פי הערכות צפויים להגיע להמבורג כמאה אלף מפגינים אנטי-קפיטליסטים במהלך היומיים הקרובים. רבים מאלו שכבר באו שרפו מכוניות ומכולות אשפה ברחבי העיר. הרשויות בגרמניה דרשו תגבורת נוספת של כוחות משטרה, שהצטרפו לכך חמישה עשר אלף שוטרים שכבר התפרסו ברחבי העיר על מנת לרסן את המפגינים. עד כה דווח על מאה ואחד עשר שוטרים שנפצעו, אך רק עשרים ותשעה מפגינים נלקחו למעצר. והתחזית לסיום אחר צפויה העלייה קלה בטמפרטורות בראשון ובשני חם מהרגיל והוויל במישור החוף. אלה החדשות שעורך עמרי רחמימוב, בצוות אילנה בנימין וטל וניג. Thank <laughs> you. 
history I've been through. Ask me where I'm from, and I will tell you I'm a Jew, and every Jew's a proud Jew. Not just me, my sisters and my brothers. Never be ashamed to be a proud Jew. It's not what you've done, it's how he made you. So sing this song and spread the pride around you. Yehudiani, eternally. Hey, Nera, 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 nera,
Shell 
morning on this era of Shabbos. Candle lighting at 8.09. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Ari Goldwag, Chaim Shol Shalom. Eli Schwabel had Shabbos takes me home. David Gabe with Naranana. Ivri Anochi was Benny Friedman. Mordechai Shapiro with Schar Mitzvah. 25 minutes after the hour, it's JM in the AM. Good morning and welcome to everybody tuned in around the world. Our weekly update is 15 minutes away. Malcolm Holmline is going to be joining us here at... Um, JM and the AM. A reminder, Hunterton County has their big Jewish music festival in New Jersey this coming Sunday. It starts at 5 p.m. with Rogers Park. They'll be in uh, to perform. The renowned Chillant band performance will be uh, there as well. The award-winning Judd's Memphis Kitchen Barbecue Food Truck will be there. There'll be fun-filled activities for the kids, face painting, arts and crafts, and more. Happens on the Hunterton Art Museum Terrace in beautiful downtown Clinton, New Jersey, on the south branch of the Raritan River. JewishHunterton.com, JewishHunterton.com, or 908-238-9002, 908-238-9002. 70 degrees, morning rain, a high of 81. That's what it's like in New York. Hope things are good wherever you are around the world, and thanks so much for tuning in. Weekly update coming up, Rabbi Yudin, of course, in the 8 o'clock hour on Parsha's Bullock. Naomi Nachman at 9 a.m. with Table for Two, our Erev Shabbos music mix, plus the Friday Live Lunch with Mark Zomik, all presented by Kedem. Tomorrow night, we've got Saturday Night Seagull. JM Sunday with Matis begins at 7 a.m. We have got, I'm telling you, it's almost the three weeks. The three weeks begin on Tuesday. Everyone's in the... Uh, in the heat of the summer, and we just continue to roll with amazing programming, even on the weekends. Uh, what can I tell you? Very proud of that. Extremely proud of that. Um, yeah. Also, yesterday we had a chance to uh, speak to um, Rachel Friedman. Many of you are aware of the fact that Lamdenu is starting next week. A whole bunch of amazing courses beginning on Monday morning at the Congregation Beth Aaron on Queen Anne Road in Teaneck, New Jersey. Go to lamdenu.org for information. Lamdenu.org for information. They also have a special program for Shivasar Batamuz, which you may want to check out for this coming Tuesday as well. Go to lamdenu.org for all the uh, info. Yeah, simple as that. And... Um, yeah, that's that. Friday morning broadcast, plenty more coming up. It's JM in the AM as we continue.
seventh day of every week Each job is our day of rest For the one above we look our best Sing a song of praise Shabbos we shall keep Ms. Yerushalayim 
Yehuda Green, Hashem Melech. Before that, Gershon Veroba and Imesh Kachech. Mizmar Shir was from Arye Kunstler, and you heard Yaakov Shweki in there with eight code. Three weeks format begins Tuesday morning. Shavas Rebetamu is a fast day this coming Tuesday. Erev Shabbos Parshas Balak with candle lighting at 8.09 on this Erev Shabbos, 8.09. Reminder, Chabad of Huntington County has their big Jewish music festival this coming Sunday at 5 p.m., Happens at the Hunterdon Art Museum Terrace in uh, downtown Clinton, New Jersey, on the south branch of the Raritan River. Go to jewishhunterdon.com for information. They'll feature Rogers Park, a chillant band performance, and Judd's Memphis Kitchen Barbecue Food Truck. All there. Uh, information at 908-238-9002. Time for our weekly update. Big thank you to our friends at jewishworldreview.com. If you want a 
wonderful resource to print out a lot of articles. I mean, millions. Well, you're not millions. You know what I mean? Before Shabbos, you go to jewishworldreview.com, and you'll be glad you did. See a whole uh, host of information there. Also, um, a big thank you to OnlySimplas.com, who continue to utilize our content in their amazing mission to report interesting news stories to the Jewish world. Not only Smachot, which is wonderful, uh, but other news stories in their news feed as well. If you haven't gotten used to checking out the Only Simchas news feed on a daily basis, do so as soon as possible. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of major American Jewish organizations, joins us Friday mornings for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Hi, good to be with you. A pleasure to have you on. The um, The news of the morning, of course, is the decision by uh, UNESCO, I should say the vote more accurately, uh, by UNESCO, the uh, uh, holy places in the city of Hebron essentially are being attributed to the uh, Palestinians. Uh, your reaction to this breaking news story? Well, it was uh, it's regrettable because the vote was, I think, 12 in favor, 3 against, and 6 abstained. Um, now, you, they needed 14 votes to declare it an, an emergency matter, which they did not get. The, uh, the, the, the declaration of this resolution is essentially saying that that uh, that the cave of the patriarchs, that Marat Machpelah, is a Palestinian heritage site, and it will be so ruled. So it joins virtually all the other sites that we've discussed: the, the Rachel's tomb, the Kotel, the Harabayat, and Temple Mount. All of them have been designated by their Muslim name, and now we will see that the cave of the patriarchs will be the same. And this is uh, ignoring thousands of years of Jewish history. Um, uh, and it's it's certainly disturbing because the UN's own study, their own experts' report, is essentially rebuffed the charges by the uh, Palestinians and said number one that it didn't take into account the Jewish history, the Jewish um, um, background, the, the traditional Judeo-Christian heritage. And second, they said that there's no emergency, that there's nothing in danger, that they were able to visit where the place that they could visit, and they saw that it's uh, it's not a, a serious, um, there's no serious threat, there's no danger. And in fact, uh, the Palestinians they interviewed said that the the, um, uh, the that the cooperation from Israelis is is wonderful, and they work together and they share and whatever arrangements, especially in security uh, arrangements, are um, are more than acceptable. So this is the traditional United Nations vote. Certainly UNESCO, uh, it's disgraceful. I think it's a disgrace for them. And we should not dismiss the significance about what the potential aftermath and, and consequences of this could be when the when we have uh, um, generations to come being saddled with this historic decision. It it it, it, it it's only the uh, UNESCO people tell me, or it's only the United Nations, and it doesn't matter. It does matter, and and. When our grandchildren are denied access to it because they say, "Well, the United Nations, you know, X years ago voted that these are really Palestinian sites." Right. Um, first of all, in the news reports about this specific vote, it, it says, and not that the news is always right, but it's portrayed 
that it's the first time ever that a religious site has has been designated as such. Do they mean because now it's designated to the state of Palestine, or are they just making a mistake? And as you said earlier, the Western Wall, Temple Mount, etc., they've all been designated already for the Palestinians. No, this resolution goes beyond it, and as you, as you noted, this is the first one that actually makes reference to this as uh, as part of the state of Palestine, and this designates it a Palestinian heritage uh, site. So. Uh, it goes beyond what we've had before, and this is the World Heritage Committee of UNESCO. It's not even the full UNESCO vote. Uh, I, I'm not sure whether this has to go back to UNESCO now for further action or not. Um, so where did all this go wrong? I mean, it, one can dismiss this as simply a, a bias vote, and we know there is a bias, especially in the United Nations when it comes to Israel. And by the way, that's totally acceptable. But does Israel or its representatives or the way things have been handled in recent years or even before that, uh, any of the blame get laid at their feet? At the feet of? I don't know, Israeli officials, UNESCO representatives at the UN, maybe the way the prime ministers over the years have dealt with Hebron and have not really shown that we believe ourselves that it's 100% ours. I don't know, is there any theory? There's nothing Israel could do because the facts are very clear. And as I said, the UN experts in their own assessment that was presented to the members and, and and this was done in the months before the vote, um, and it's it's uh, ridiculous. They have no um, basis for making this uh, this charge. If anything, Israel has done everything. And anybody who's visited Mar Samachbelo, you know that the, the Muslims have full access, even preferential treatment there, and that the, Israel has gone out of its way. It's sensitivity when. Somebody I know donated a roof that was supposed to be built, and out of sensitivity because they were concerned that people would think that they're expanding, did not put up over the Jewish entrance the kind of cover that was pre- uh, prepared for the Muslim entrance. Right. So there's nothing. It's it's not a question that Israel does something wrong. Israel's done everything right, I think, in this regard. This is just purely a, a ploy on their part, and they're trying to, it's part of delegitimizing Israel, the Jewish people, Jewish history, and they, they get the imprimatur of the international body. Nobody will check how the votes went or how many people voted or what the reports were. All you will have is this historic record, and now UN documents will, again, only list the Muslim name for this site as they do now with the others. As absurd as the claim is, meaning the Palestinian claim to Marat Pelai, but e- even more absurd is Kevar Rachel. I mean, uh, at least at the Marat, there's a, a figure buried who, you know, the, who, who they tell us, you know, has a significant role in their religion and their history. But, I mean, Kevar Rachel is even more, Rachel's tomb is even more absurd than that. Well, I'm not sure Rachel's tomb is more absurd. Here you have the the Bible gives us the contract that was signed. We all know exactly, you know, how the cave of the patriarchs came to be, how Abraham bought it, how much he paid for it. I mean, this is, there's no, uh, there probably is no comparable place on earth where you know exactly every detail of how it was transferred to the Jewish people, to, to a specific people, in a, by a specific contract, who the seller was, who the buyer was. Right. And at this so point... Think about that, you know, all the places people claim, who can show a document and say, listen, here's the historic record, it's in your Bible. Right. And you've pointed out that the, the, the places that get most challenged in terms of claims by Palestinian people, Arabs, etc., are the ones that are most clearly uh, historically 
owned by and properly obtained by Jews. Maratha Machpelah being one of the examples, of course. Right. They actually changed the resolution that became a new draft uh, uh, resolution, and they voted in a secret ballot, and, and the session was quite chaotic from the reports, the initial reports we've gotten. We don't have the details yet, but it's, it, and there, there is now a race on for who will succeed as the new head of UNESCO, and that vote will is now, the race is now underway, and we have a, a Qatari candidate, I think, in the lead, and a, an Arab candidate from St. Helena, of Arab origin, from Lebanon, and um, and some other candidates. But uh, what hopefully we will see that it will be a... What, country, be a, what country is the current head of UNESCO from? Bukovina from uh, Bulgaria. Mm. Um, well, I don't know. You, 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 you basically paint a picture every time these things happen or every time a battle like this has to be fought that there should be a lot more outrage, a lot more reaction, and certainly you know, tremendous anger. And I did see some tweets, and I did see you know, certain representatives or those we would consider the fact they're representatives of the Israeli government you know, freaking out over this decision, which is good. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know. Based on your standards, the way you describe it, I don't know if the administration in Jerusalem is reacting as strongly as you'd like. They did, and they did a, a good job. But remember, the more Israel fights for it, the more the opposition will mobilize. So here, the United States, Nikki Haley took a very strong position uh, against it. They did make phone calls. The United States pulled out of UNESCO because they admitted the Palestinians, and recognition is automatically means suspension of U.S. participation, according to laws passed by Congress. And um, so, so I think the United States, others. It's very difficult to win a vote in the United Nations and in a body like UNESCO. Uh, it, it demeans the UN and undermines its its importance and significance every time it does this. Uh, there is a, a predictability to it, uh, although I think now we're, we saw in the vote on Jerusalem earlier in the week where a number of African countries uh, turned and, and the vote was 10-4, uh, and the le- ten against with the the abstentions, the votes against, and the, uh, somebody's absence. So they got up just about half of the votes. Usually, this moves by a much bigger margin. And today as well, the abstentions are essentially a, a way for people to vote no who don't want to go against the consensus or or fear of the consequences. But this is this is something that's been worked on and uh, campaigned about for a long time. We knew this is coming. As you know, I've warned about this for yeah. years on the show when it started back in Amman. And then, I believe, even the Israeli government did not take it seriously enough. Uh, no question about that. Uh, or at least the, that's the impression. Um, India's leader comes to Israel, uh, Prime Minister Modi, a historic trip uh, to the Holy Land. It was fascinating watching uh, uh, the leader of 1.3 billion people uh, come and speak to a prime minister of what seven eight million people at this point and uh, and and I'm not saying uh, begging for a uh, um, you know for business relationships but certainly you know encouraging the Jewish state to uh, recognize India's role and how the two of them together can you know continue to make progress in technology etc um, did that come to your mind that this that this leader of one almost one and a half billion people is coming to Israel? to negotiate or lay out the platform for what they think their future holds? 
I think it's tremendously significant, and uh, I spoke about it the last couple of weeks as the build-up to it, and once the date was set, because I do think this is very significant. When when Modi stood with BB, you had people, two leaders representing 1.39 billion people, uh, 9 million Israelis, and 1.2 or 3 uh, Yeah, I have here 1.33. It's pretty amazing. Yes. So, uh, and then when you add to it Israel's relationship with China and growing relationship, you already have almost half the population of the world. And so when people talk about Israel's isolation, this is a, a, a demonstration of the, the falsity of that argument. Here, Modi did not go to the Palestinian Authority. He said he met with Abbas in May, and he said, you know, you had your time. Now I'm only going to Israel. He visited Yad Vashem. He walks with Bibi on the beach. He, he visits with uh, Moshe Holtzberg, the 10-year-old, now 10-year-old, then 2-year-old uh, son of, of, the, of Rabbi Mrs. Holtzberg, who were killed in Mumbai. And he invited him to, to India, and, and the little boy made a, a very warm and moving remarks that he missed India, and his uh, nanny, who saved his life, was there as well. And Bibi said that he would take him when he goes to visit uh, uh, India. And, and this is an important message. Remember, India is the second largest Muslim country in the world. And the, the um, significance goes beyond just the trade agreements. I mean, agreements that ranged from military sales to um, how to deal with extreme temperatures in outer space to um, training young leadership. They, they, he also visited the cemetery in Haifa where there are the bodies of Turkish soldiers who were killed in 1918. I think about 900 of them were killed, not Turkish, Indian soldiers who were killed in 1918 in the battle with the Turks against the Ottoman Empire. Uh, they fought together with the British Army, and uh, they actually redeemed Haifa from the Ottomans. And the, um, those who were, they were buried there in, in Haifa. So... Uh, that Modi went to pay uh, tribute to them. There's actually an annual Haifa Day in the Indian Army where they pay tribute to those uh, to those who were killed. These are two democracies. They were created virtually the same time, recreated, I should say, in, in Israel's uh, side, and uh, and they have in common. They face common challenges from terrorism, uh, extremism, etc. And uh, I think Modi, who's when he was governor of Gujarat. It did a great deal of trade and other things with Israel, and I think attributes his success and his ability to move up uh, to that engagement with Israel and the successful implementation of many agreements. So this is the first sitting prime minister of India to visit Israel. I think it's a, a historic breakthrough in coming on the heels of all the visits to Africa and the visits of Africans to Israel, and I think a forthcoming trip by the prime minister to South America that uh, in this time of chaos and turmoil, uh, Israel is being accepted. Can, and there is no peace agreement yet. Can Westerners, um, uh, Jews included, visit India? 100% and very open, and there are still synagogues there. There are about 100,000, some say 85,000, probably some will say less, Indian Jews living in Israel. They had an event, I think 10,000 of them came out to greet the Prime Minister at one point, uh, and there are still remnants of the community in India. And um, absolutely, you can visit safely. And there'll be a military deal between India and Israel, where India is going to be purchasing Israeli-made weapons. Yeah, sales uh, are many hundreds of millions of dollars already. 
And uh, of course, as I as I alluded to, and as you gave us specifics uh, when it comes to technology and it comes to uh, different areas of technology, they are ready to work along with Israel to advance, uh, you know, immeasurably. I mean, just they already are, and they will be doing uh, much more. I think in that regard, pretty amazing. The whole thing, I, I think, is incredible. And and sometimes we have to stop and think, <laughs> especially uh, in light of what we just opened up with this UNESCO vote. And we, right. we always, and you mentioned the isolation. We always get this impression the whole world hates us and hates us, et cetera. Uh, and whether there is deep-seated hatred or not is not the issue. The issue is that Israel is, a, is in a position in the world right now with only 9 million people uh, where all these large nations are, are, are coming to, to see Israeli leaders, where, as you described, an Israeli leader is about to go to South America and be welcomed there and goes to African nations and is welcome. And I contend that with the right atmosphere, might even have been able to secure, if the President of the United States would have handled things a little bit differently during his trip to the Middle East, secured peace agreements with cousin, with, with the countries outside of Jordan and Egypt in the Middle East. Uh, we sometimes don't realize the historic time that we're living in. Well, Israel doesn't need peace agreements, they need trade and other agreements. Right. Thank God they're not at war with anybody outside of the region. But on the other hand, we saw... The Mennonite Church this week vote to divest from Israel. The South Africa, the leader of South Africa, uh, the, the ANC, the African National Congress, wants to vote to downgrade the diplomatic status of the Israeli mission. Um, and this at the same time when the study showed that half the students on, on South African campuses don't even know what the Palestinian-Israeli issue conflict is and have no interest in it. The uh, But you have uh, Zuma, the leader who is... Um, proven to be very hostile. Um, so it's not that everything is rosy. But Well, there goes my chance of staying positive on a Friday morning. <laughs> no, I know. but these are minor compared. Look at the Indian, look at South Africa, I look agree. at the other African countries, and who will benefit and who will lose. I totally agree. But uh, we still have challenges, is my point, that, yeah, uh, and we that. have to work with the friends and say thank you and encourage them but the but, but the collection of friends is getting so large i mean you know it's it, never it, large enough it, that's true have too many that's friends. true but israel's got a lot of support against the bullies on the school playground you know what i mean there's a lot of people behind them right now a lot, yeah. a lot, a lot of seniors there are a lot well, of seniors standing a lot behind. of that has to do with the tone that comes out of the united states and when at the united nations or other places the the united states stands up for israel and it's clear uh, about that the alliance and the significance, if there are ever questions or when uh, there are strains in that relationship, everybody po- tries to exploit it. And that was the point of my comment to President Obama in the first meeting that has been you know, reported over and over again about there not being public daylight between the two countries because right. the enemies of both will exploit it. And, and when they see that that the that the United States distances itself or appears to distance itself from Israel, then they say, "Look, if if Israel, with all the lobby, with everything else, can't can't, because what chance do we have to have support?" Right. Understood. So it is a positive message that comes from the leadership that, and Britain also, and Britain is now talking about pulling out of UNESCO also. Oh, interesting. That that would be a big step. It would be a great step. Uh, it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listen to sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com on the NahumSiegel Network and, of course, on our beloved NSN app. Anybody who makes a threat against the President of the United States has to be investigated by the FBI. Is that accurate? Yes. Um, Linda Sarsour, someone pointed out to me, actually 
um, called for a jihad against the president. Should we assume that someone like this, especially as high profile as she is, is in fact being investigated? Uh, that I don't know. I've not heard, uh, but she seems to get a pass on everything. Right. And even from high profile elected officials and others who stand in, yet you see that she uh, continues to make these, these terrible comments. She spoke about Hamas or something, uh, at least there were reports of that, but, but certainly on uh, has consistently uh, taken extremist positions. She spoke at the uh, Islamic Society of North America, I think, or another form uh, recently, so she she seems to get a buy and uh, um, get support from from quarters where she ought not to. Yeah, people are very concerned about her freedom of speech, but uh, you know, yes, but freedom of speech is not freedom to to yell fire, and it's not to yeah. incite. And and even if she has the right to say things, then people have the right to isolate her and to deny her platforms. Right. Um, all right, what prompted the uh, statement by the Conference of Presidents regarding um, uh, Mahmoud Abbas and his commitment to rewarding Palestinian terrorism? Has he gone ahead and, uh, and renewed that commitment? He made a public statement, again, saying that they, and so did other members of his government, clearly repudiating all of what he said and, and the uh, uh, understanding of the United States and the uh, message that he has received from Europeans as well, saying that they will not, Stop the funding. They may come up with new subterfuges, but they uh, he he uh, announced it again, and it is imperative that people understand w- what this means and how much money uh, goes. They, they support some thirty thousand people. It's over three hundred million dollars that it goes to to those who it doesn't go to regular criminals. It goes to those who carry out under the category of fighters. Uh, meaning that they were engaged in terrorism. They had to be directly involved in it to qualify uh, for these funds. And that they're saying it's social welfare, I mean, all sorts of things. Here he cut 6,000 jobs in Gaza uh, in order to put pressure on Hamas. He's trying to take over there. And this comes at a time when we're seeing an upheaval there with Dahlan coming back from uh, from the UAE, where he's been living for years. Atahlan was a leader there in Gaza, and he was expelled when Hamas took over. He went into exile. Now, with the backing of Egypt, he's coming back, it looks like, and it could be the leader in Hamas and Abbas will both be sidelined. Um, but the, there is a lot happening, and it has the backing of others. Egypt just opened the crossings from Rafah, which it closed, I think, 10 years ago when, when Hamas came in, and they, they spent millions of dollars uh, fixing it up and, and building a, a crossing that goes both ways now. Is that going uh, to uh, affect Israeli security? I mean, is that going to be a, uh, a much bigger concern now that it's open? Well, the hope is that it it's, uh, relieves some of the pressure about people being able to cross that they don't... Because, they the, because, the, the, because the Gaza to Egypt uh, right. crossing will be more accessible now. Right, exactly. That the... Um, uh, that's one aspect, but the fact that they are uh, bringing in uh, Dahlan Hania, who was the head of Hamas and was headed to Qatar to to replace uh, Mashal, who was the titular head, and you know their base has been operating out of uh, Doha. Uh, now he can't find a place; nobody wants him. And, and Hania and these guys were kicked out of uh, uh, Mashal. And these guys were kicked out of. Qatar as part of the pressures that I think were brought to bear on them. And now they're settling 
these guys are settling in Beirut, in a suburb controlled by Hezbollah, in, I think it's called Dachnia, and, um, and this is important because if they, they find that they can't have the soft life that they had before. It takes away a lot of the incentive that, that they've had, um, and we hope that Turkey will do the same. They've said it over and over again, but we see that they always seem to come back to the to the same position. So these leaders, uh, Salah al Aruri and others, are now in Beirut, and we see that the, the isolation of Hamas seems to be uh, seems to be growing, and they are there are ties between them and Muslim Brotherhood that have become uh, much more a focus of attention. Uh, and of, and therefore of opposition, they've cut off from a lot of their funding. Iran still gives them, we think, fifty million dollars a year, but it's uh, but other funding has dried up. And do they care about the PA? Did it have anything to do with them? I mean, sixty-two percent of Palestinians want Abbas out. Do they also want him out? Who's no, 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 Ham- Hamas? Hezbollah and, the, and those other terrorist organizations that are aligning with Hamas. Do they even care about the PA and what it's doing? Oh, they do care, and Hezbollah has lined up uh, with Hamas in the past. But Hamas obviously is the is the direct competition to to Abbas, who wants to take control of Gaza. A, so he can say he speaks for everyone, and uh, B, because the the polls, by the way, show in Gaza, seventy five percent of them don't want the Abbas; that they prefer even Hamas over Abbas. And in, in the West Bank, I think it's fifty five percent. Which is a pretty significant figure, and oh, so we have a majority they... facing or half uh, saying that they would um, engage again in the in the armed intifada. But at the same time, I think a majority say that they would favor uh, some form of negotiations. Um, the the um, uh, and it's very interesting to see the percentages who who talk about the corruption and the the they. Uh, opposed cutting off the funding to the PL, to the terrorists, the Palestinian terrorists. But on the other hand, uh, I think 80% talked about the, the corruption and how they have no trust in their own government. Oh, boy. I guess that's how the uh, you average the two, uh, the West Bank figure and the Gaza figure, and you get to somewhere in the 60s that want Abbas to... Uh, to stop right, and that's why he won't, doesn't want to face an election, yeah. and he's trying to remove Hamas now uh, after playing with them and then being cut off from them, and they have—they don't allow him to come. He hasn't visited Gaza, as you know, in many years. Right. What's been the U.S. reaction to the uh, intercontinental ballistic missile that North Korea test launched on Tuesday? They didn't like it. <laughs> I don't know. They never seem to be strong enough. I always think that unlike Iran, where the U.S. sort of tells the world that they're ready to deal with it as their problem, with this, it always looks like they're just turning to China and waiting for their lead on the North Korea issue. Well, China does have the, the most important role here, and is clearly not going to do what the United States wants. And China has many uh, many considerations. One is that the, uh, if the fall of the North Korean regime and or the reunification of Korea, you it means you would bring an American ally or potential ally right to the border of China. Right. They don't want that. This way, they have the buffer of North Korea between them and South Korea. Second. They, their fear of the collapse of the regime is that you would have millions of North Koreans pouring across the border into China, mm. and they don't want that. Also, this is for them, uh, it is a propaganda issue, it is a, a pride issue. They, they, they are the major supplier, the trade, I think 80% of the trade of North Korea goes through China, some very significant figure. 
And um, uh, so China is not going to take the necessary steps. It's hard to see how you you uh, take away the missile capacities, you know, that they launched this week in intercontinental ballistic missile, at least um, shows that they have the capacity and developing the yeah, capacity that's what, I mean, for that. China can't ignore the safety and security issue. I get the trade and immigration issues, but there's a safety and security issue, or is there not? Is there no way? Well, that- I don't think that they feel that they are threatened uh, by it. I mean, they could just move their troops in and, and destroy North Korea, I think, fairly quickly. Um, though North Korea's military is in, at the expense of the people, is uh, is relatively strong, and and also you have the danger that if you if you launch missiles, that they will in turn just launch at Seoul, and they said that eighty percent of Seoul, the capital of South Korea, would be could be eliminated in in a very short order, mm-hmm. and then uh, you'd have fighting. Don't forget, we have tens of thousands of troops there. It's a complicated situation, yeah. but I think the, the the failure to show strength in the beginning, and when as they developed this program, and tolerating it as we did with Iran, and seeing, you know, the how Iran has advanced its missile program and continues, and they continue to test and um, and continue to incite and all of the things which uh, the, the president has. Uh, as spoke mentioned them yesterday, I think again, but has repeatedly uh, mentioned the the threat that they uh, uh, that they pose. So I'm sorry. We, we expect uh, to see some more tests by year end uh, of homemade missiles by by Iran, so that they are advancing, and, and we're talking about longer range missiles. And uh, you know they attacked the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia again, and they t- talked about his aggressiveness and. For a country that's engaged in aggression all over the region, <laughs> it's a, little, a little bit of chutzpah for them to do it. But they have unlimited chutzpah in, in supplies that uh, never run out. Uh, you mentioned the president a moment ago. It, it, I saw criticism that he didn't visit the Warsaw Ghetto uh, Memorial uh, Uprising Memorial, and then I saw that he went and visited. Did he cave into pressure? Or was always on his schedule. I think his daughter visited the memorial. I did not see that the president visited, unless. That what happened. He did not initially. He went to the Warsaw Uprising site, right. not the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising site. Ah, there, were, okay. there was criticism that uh, that he did not. And that presidents for the last twenty five years have always, in visits to Warsaw, gone to there and laid a wreath. Imanka uh, did it without press, I think, and then later they released the, the photograph of it. Uh, the chief rabbi uh, made mention of, of Poland, uh, expressed regret that the president didn't go. But he accompanied her on the visit there. The the Warsaw Uprising. There were two. There was one against the Russians, but there was the one in 1944, from August to October, as I remember, uh, which was uh, an uprising against the Nazis. But the ghetto uprising that we know, the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, was in 1943. Um, I think on the it began in the 19th of April. And then, and thirteen thousand Jews were were killed there. Uh, half of them burnt alive. So the, uh, when uh, Jürgen Strupp, who was the Nazi general, Imachemol was was in charge, when he tried to take it over and evict everybody, and they resisted. Everybody knows the hopefully knows the story of the Warsaw Ghetto. So that there are two Warsaw uprisings, and people did not feel that the attention was given to it. And with the rise of anti-Semitism in Europe, it was an opportunity. Um, 
I think the president didn't mention it at, at one point in his uh, in his remarks, mm-hmm. but I haven't read the full text yet. Yeah, he spoke about the uh, uh, the Jewish um, resistance, Arabs. right? Um, what do you think was the content of the conversation between uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and President Putin uh, regarding the Golan this week? Well, first of all, uh, Israel is very concerned about the growth of the presence which, again, we've talked about for a long time here, warning about this development of hostile elements, including the Iranian-backed militias, the Syrian army uh, elements, and others in what they call the buffer area between Israel, the Golan, and and Syria. And now we've seen uh, others entering the area. Israel does not want to have Russia be in charge of it, and they went to the United States to, to urge that Russia not be in charge, and they've gone to the Russians, I'm sure, to tell them we will not tolerate the growth of any presence of, of Hezbollah, of uh, the Iran-backed militias, and others that would be a direct threat to Israel's security. Israel's taking many precautionary measures in that regard uh, along the its northern borders, Golan and, and, um, and Lebanon. Uh, the Iranians constantly threaten about this and say that the, the new situation will allow them access to Israel's border, and they're building that road that will go from Iran through Iraq and Syria, Lebanon, but brings them close to the border of Israel, and they will have then supply routes, etc. So, um, uh, the, so I'm sure that Mr. Netanyahu made very clear that they don't want any clashes with Russian troops, they don't want to have clashes, but they will not tolerate errant fire, let alone intentional fire, or the buildup of a capacity within striking distance of Israel. Boy, oh boy. Um, and Iran, by the way, was uh, there's a case in Ontario, Canada, where the court upheld a $1.7 billion judgment against Iran for American victims uh, of terror. So this comes after the uh, the seizing of the Alavi Foundation and the court ordering that they could claim that building, which is worth between half a billion and a billion dollars, and others to pay victims of Iranian terror, uh, and that uh, some of them include, includes um, American victims from the Lebanon bombings, you know, from Marine headquarters to You're, the acts in Israel against uh, that took the lives of of the people. You're one of the greatest advocates for taking them to court, and we're seeing a lot of results in that regard. We're seeing that, that now these two rulings certainly are going to, because most of the assets in America have been tapped here now in Canada, where they have bank accounts and other holdings, they can be also taken. Uh, so it, it will cre- increase the pot of funds available to those who are victims. Bougie Herzog is out as labor leader in Israel, labor party leader, I should say. Yep, it's, uh, he came in third, a distant third. Uh, behind Amir Peretz, uh, and I think uh, who came in first. And it's interesting that the, the second place is a candidate who was a member of Kahlon's party and served in the in the government, uh, and then left and joined uh, Labor. Avi so, Gabay. Yeah, Gabay, yes. And, uh, uh, you know, he's relatively unknown to people. Certainly Amir Peretz, who was head of Hizadrut and was Minister of Defense for a while, and... Um, is is much better known, but it's it is uh, it is a sign of the turmoil within uh, labor that somebody comes from a relatively unknown position and emerges uh, as the number two candidate. And Barack came out, former prime minister, and endorsed Gabay, 
where the Hisadrut leadership and the others have came out for Peretz. So it'll be an interesting race to see and ultimately to analyze. I don't know how many people will actually show up to vote. It's very <laughs> hot in Israel, so they vote the first time and not that many, and then it diminishes when you have a runoff. Right. Um, the three-week start on Tuesday, um, not to spend too much time on it, but uh, I think... Um, I think we need to publicly bemoan the fact of how sad it is when noticeably Jewish people or noticeably Jewish couples are arrested for activities they should not be involved with. And it's a very sad episode uh, and many episodes, unfortunately, for our community. And I think sometimes uh, you encourage us to uh, take a step back and analyze some of the things that are happening within our community. And to hold people to account, there has to be a sense of responsibility, and there are no excuses. And it's a chilah Hashem of the first order, and uh, there are no excuses, you know, of need and other things. There are legal ways to do things, and that's the way you have to do it. And again, we should not, people are making blanket accusations, and anti-Semites are exploiting this. It's it's a very limited number, and it's... Um, and it is being addressed. It's been condemned by the leadership. You don't see that in other communities where people are engaged in, in fraud actions of any kind. So uh, we should recognize it. And I hope that the that you know nobody tries to excuse it away by any by any measure. People are entitled to the same treatment and to the equal rights and benefits that the government provides, but no right to take advantage of it or to to do things that are, are improper. And we can't convict them until we know, until they have their day in court and everybody knows what the, all the details are. But certainly on the surface and the reaction in the area, particularly, but I've heard from and know that news reports all over the country have covered it. That is correct. Uh, I'd argue all over the world. Uh, and finally, because we have to end with some good news, um, the Maccabiah has begun in Israel. Uh, 10,000 uh, athletes and representatives in the entire world, over 80 countries. Uh, it's the Jewish Olympics. Uh, a lot of people uh, you know, find it to be a hokey event. A lot of people think it's very serious, like I do. And I think that if we, again, as we pointed out so many times in the past, if we think back generations, uh, I don't know if our ancestors and forefathers would have been as enthusiastic about the sports competition as I am, but they certainly would acknowledge the fact that it's pretty cool that we have a Jewish state that's able to house that type of event or host that type of event. Uh, I think so. And anybody who's ever participated, especially in the opening session, it is overwhelming. It is an amazing demonstration when you have people... There are 43 sports. You have people from 80 countries, uh, I think 10,000 athletes, and then you have all the families and others who come for it as well. It, uh, I know that sometimes uh, in Jewish history, the Olympics and the stadium and things like that were not always uh, seen in the most positive way um, But uh, by Jews because we were often the targets of the Lions. Right. But, the, um, but this is really an amazing demonstration. It involves many more who compete and uh, participate in the trials and the build-up to it throughout the world. And and they all come with their uniforms and different designs, and, and you, you see the degree to which it really is an important manifestation. And by the way, on the good news also, there's going to be a new airport in Israel near Eilat. That's right. Uh, the Ramon Airport, it's named for Ilan Ramon, who unfortunately died, uh, the Israeli astronaut, and uh, his son Asaf, who who died in a plane crash, uh, he was a pilot, and the plane fell. And truly, two remarkable people. 
And uh, so the new airport is going to be named for him, and it will accommodate up to 2 million people a day near a lot in the the Arava Valley. So it's uh, also a new sign of the growing tourism and, and hopefully... Be bring new prosperity to the south of Israel. I'm telling you, if we don't realize, because we're living it, we don't realize the miracle that's happening every single day in the Holy Land. Uh, the future of the Jewish people is, of course, in the state of Israel. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Thank you, Malcolm. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak Good next job. week. There he is, Malcolm Honline with the weekly update. Plenty more coming up Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Parshas Bullock with candle lighting at 8.09. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are on this summer day, this time each and every summer Shabbos, I should say, this time each and every um, Friday morning, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Arab Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Bolok. Parshas Bolok, interestingly, contains 104 psukim, but there are no mitzvos. So I really would like to challenge everybody and please God at your Shabbos table, Mitzvashem, tonight, tomorrow, ask why would the Torah include a parsha as part of our quote constitution without any mitzvos and clearly the answer has to be because there is a great deal for us to learn not just of the historical past but clearly in terms of the way we are to quote lead our lives we'll come back to the parsha in a few moments and I'll share with you one I believe interesting insight uh, which is most timely. Speaking about most timely, the this coming Tuesday is the 17th day of Tammuz. The 17th day of Tammuz is a fast day. The Mishnah in the last Perek of Tanis tells us that five tragedies occurred on the 17th day of Tammuz. And they are, number one, Nishtabru Haluchos, that when Moshe came down, after having going up the day after Shavuos, to learn the Torah with God, and to get a greater understanding of the mitzvos, Moshe comes down, the Jewish people miscalculate, and we know they make the golden calf. And Moshe breaks the luchos, The day on which he broke the luchos, these tablets, was this coming Tuesday, the 17th of Tammuz. Secondly, Botel HaTomid, which means that the daily sacrifice was discontinued in the Beis HaMikdash, whether we're talking about in the second Beis HaMikdash or we're talking about, some say, the first, but the idea is very powerfully that the carbon tamid, which was brought literally constantly every morning and every afternoon, is something which the Talmud tells us at the end of Megillah, nothing less than sustains and kept the quote-unquote Jewish world going. 
and this was the quote-unquote beginning of the end. The Hovka'ahir, regarding the second base of Migdash, they broke through the walls of Yerushalayim on the 17th day of Tammuz, started marching towards the Mikdash, and three weeks later, the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed. Regarding the first Beis Hamikdash, they broke through the walls on the 9th of Tammuz. The rabbis were kind to us and didn't impose a fast in the month of Tammuz on the 9th, as well as on the 17th. The fourth phenomena is Soraf, Apostomos Torah, the Torah, according to many, which refers to the Torah that was kept in the Azara, right, in the actual Beis um, Hamikdash, in the Holy of Holies, and that Torah was burnt by Apostomos, and finally, Hemid Selem Behechol, he, Apostomos, as well, placed an image in the Beis Hamikdash, a literally an idol in the Beis Hamikdash. This was at the time of the Greek occupation of the second Beis Hamikdash. We fast on the um, on Shavuot of Tammuz. Anyone who is healthy and can should fast this coming uh, Tuesday. This coming Tuesday, therefore, begins the period of time known as the three weeks. It starts with the fast day of the 17th of Tammuz and ends three weeks later with the fast day of Tisha B'Av. And interestingly, during these three weeks, a period of gradually intensified mourning begins. So, from the 17th of Tammuz through Tisha B'Av is the three weeks. From the 17th of Tammuz until Rosh Chodesh Av is one set of time. From Rosh Chodesh Av until the week in which Tisha B'Av occurs, Shavuot Shechalbo is the second, and the week of Tisha B'Av itself, Shavuot Shechalbo, is the third. Those laws which apply to the three weeks are one. During the three weeks, one is not to shave ideally or take a haircut. Haircuts are more universally observed. As far as shaving goes, there are some authorities who do permit one to shave until Rosh Chodesh Av or to shave on Friday until Rosh Chodesh and therefore consult your local Rav. After Rosh Chodesh Av, until the afternoon of the 10th of Av, no shaving, haircuts is permitted. And weddings or other social events during the three weeks are forbidden. One should not listen to or play joyful music or dance nor should one wear clothing um, during this time, which has not been worn before, which requires a shechianu. Because of the sadness of this time, we do not recite the bracha shechianu. 
I do want to say, remember, the words of the Navi Zachariah, as found in chapter 8, verse 19, the Navi promises us that Tzomoravii, the fast of the fourth month, which is Shivasar Batamos, Vitsomachamishi, the fast of the fifth month, which is Tisha B'Av, Vitsom Hashavii, the fast of the seventh month, which is Tsom Gedalia, Vitsomo Asiri, the fast of the tenth month, which is Asora Beteves. Listen carefully. Yeh Lebeis Yehuda will be to the house of Yehuda, the Sason Ulasimcha, for happiness, joy, Ulamoadim Tovim. It's going to become a Yom Tov. And this is promised to us by the Navi Zachariah. So, Emir Tzashem, while we unfortunately, it looks like, even though one never knows, we'll have to fast this coming Tuesday. Remember, the destiny of the Jewish people, please God, is that these days will become happy days. Now let's go back to Parshas Bullock. In Parshas Bullock, we find, once again, no mitzvos, yet a few exceedingly important verses, be it the verse with which most Jews begin their prayer when they come into the synagogue. Matovu o'alecho Yaakov, mishkenosecho Yisrael. How goodly are your tents, O Israel. Your habitations, referring to not just their homes and the modesty of their homes, but to their synagogues and houses of study. I'd like to focus on the verse that's found, and I'll be honored if you bring the Chumash to the table and go to chapter Chav Gimel, chapter 23, Pasuk 21, 23, 21. And I'd like to show you something very, very exciting. And that is, says the prophet Bilam in speaking about the relationship between God and the Jewish people. Note what he says. Lo hibit oven b'yakov. He, Hashem, does not hibit, perceive, as translated by Art Scroll, oven, iniquity in Yaakov. We'll come back to this in a moment. V'lo omol Nor does he see any perversity, negativity, in Israel. Hashem alokavimo. Hashem is God is with him. And usruas melech bo. And literally, what does the word trua mean? So we know Rosh Hashanah is called Yom Trua. What does it mean? Says Rashi, interestingly, usruas melech bo, lashon chiba the reus. Literally, this is an expression of dearness and friendship. Amazing. An expression of love and friendship. Now what does that mean? I'd like to suggest that if you look at the verse, Lohibit Oven Biyakov, Hibit is literally to gaze and to gaze hard 
and strong, like to stare. Says the prophet, Lohibit of Mbiakov, God does not focus on the sins of Israel. There are sins that are there, but he doesn't focus on it. And he doesn't see the negativity and perversity in Israel. What does that mean? There is Amal there, but again, he doesn't focus on it. Why? Hashem Elokavimo, because Hashem is with him. And what is with him? The friendship, Usru Asmelech Bo, the friendship. And because of the friendship of Hashem with him, because of the friendship of the king, therefore he looks upon the Jewish people much more favorably. I'd like you to realize how a parent wants, and who doesn't want their child to be, quote, perfect, the best. Most of us know that our children are good. They might not yet be perfect. However, it is natural for a parent to be able to, quote-unquote, live with the misgivings of their children, ever wanting them to do better, to be better, but were able to tolerate. And this, the Pasuk says, is the relationship between Hashem and the Jewish people. And Hashem is therefore able to tolerate our misgivings, our wrongdoings, because of this love and friendship that He has. And as we say, literally, in the Slichos, Kirachim of Albanim, literally, as a father has mercy on his child, so Hashem, please have mercy on us, that relationship. Now, I'd like to share with you a very insightful idea of the Apterov. The Apterov known by the Sefer, the Ohev Yisrael. I really believe that this will bring a chuckle to most of you, and I think that there's a very powerful lesson contained in this chuckle. And that is as follows. The Apterov, the Oiv Yisrael, loved all Jews. And he said to his Hasidim, I want you to know there is Avas Yisrael, there is the mitzvah to love one another and to love all Jews in every parsha in the Torah. So they said to him, Oh yeah, what about Parsha's Balak? He didn't blink. He said, Balak, you know what it stands for? V'yohavta l'reacha k'mocha. They said to him, Oi, Rebbe, V'yohavta starts with a vav, and Balak starts with a bez, and k'mocha starts with a chaf, and Balak ends with a kif, in which case, how can you see V'yohavta l'reacha k'mocha in Balak? And you know what his answer is, and I hope you're ready for that chuckle, but it's so powerful. He said, if you're going to be so medagdik, if you're going to be so careful, if you're going to be so picayune, you'll never have Avas Yisrael. You'll never have true love of Israel. Because you're always going to focus on that which separates us, as opposed to focusing on that majority which Baruch Hashem unites us. 
And I think this idea is so important all year long, but it's especially important as we go into the three weeks. The Gemara in Yuma tells us in the first chapter that it was unfortunately because of Sinas Chinam. It was because of the breakdown of love between one Jew and another. It was precisely the breakdown of Usruas Melech Bo. There are, as we know, 613 mitzvahs. The 611th mitzvah of the Torah is Ve'olachto Bidrachov. We are to emulate and follow the ways of Hashem. As He, so too we. I'd like to suggest, as he, Usruas Melerbo, as he has friendship and love with each and every individual, each and every Jew, he sees the good in each and every one, so should we. When we say, when we daven, please God, tomorrow, and ask Hashem to give us our share, our lot, in Torah, we're saying, guess what? Each and every one of us is different. And each and every one of us is, come on, unfortunately, not only do we think differently, but each and every one of us has a different contribution to make of Torah. And as a result of that, what the next person has, I don't have. And what I have, the next person does not have. And as a result of that, listen carefully, each and every one of us should look at the next person as, oh my goodness, take a look. What he is contributing, only he can contribute, and I cannot. And therefore, oh my goodness, just as we... um, Remember, so um, importantly, the teaching of Rabbi Eliezer Milizhinsk. And what did he say? Adarabba, Hashem, please, tame belibenu, shenirekol echod, each and every one of us should see. We pray to Hashem, Ma'alas Chavereinu. We should please God, look to see the strength, the positive in the next one, and not Chas V'Shalom Chisrono. Not necessarily, and not focusing on his deficiency, not focusing on that which separates one Jew from another. And so, a very powerful idea emerges from Parshas Balak, especially timely, as we are about to, again, embark upon the three weeks. Let us remember, Hashem sees good in each and every one of us. May we be privileged to see that same good, and therefore, hopefully, through our renewed Avas Yisrael, bring us a lot closer to the Geula Shlema. Shabbat Shalom to all.
In the AM, Ivdu is from Benny Friedman. Friday morning on this era of Shabbos, candle lighting 8.09, 11 minutes before 9 o'clock. Don't forget, great weekend programming. We'll kick things off at 9 a.m. with Naomi Nachman, her encore of Table for Two, with Melinda Strauss, Miriam Pascal, and Shelby Zeidelman. Erev uh, Shabbos music mix plus the live lunch for Friday all uh, coming at you courtesy of our friends at Kedem. Thank you very, very much. It's all the way until candle lighting time. Tomorrow night, it's Saturday Night Seagull with Avrami. Sunday, of course, Matis and JM Sunday, uh, which is always amazing. Uh, that starts at 7 a.m. Eastern time. Big thank you to our friends at Bedford-on-Park. If you haven't checked it out yet, you know what we've been recommending. Get on over to 61 East 34th Street in New York City. 
Chef Alex has an amazing menu. We had it there yesterday. We were we were treated to some unbelievable items, really unbelievable items. Uh, check it out. Go to 61 East 34th Street. It's Bedford on Park. Uh, my recommendations, well, you certainly want the lamb bacon. You want the seven-ounce eye of rib. Um, the um, Bedford burger would be a great choice. A lot of wonderful dishes you'll see uh, when you're there. Bedford on Park on 61 East 34th Street in New York City. More coming up. This is JM in the AM. Sorry. 
Great tune from Yehuda Green. Kulanu Yachad. Friday morning, it's Erev Shabbos. I mentioned all the great weekend programming. We're back here Monday morning, of course, starting at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. Tuesday is Shavasarbatama, is a fast day. More about that next week, of course. Time to say good Shabbos on this Friday Erev Shabbos at JM in the AM. Ah, 
Wraps up an amazing day and a fantastic week for us here at JM and the AM and the Nachum Siegel Network. I thank you for tuning in. Naomi Nachman is next. Encore of Table for Two. Erev Shabbos Music Mix and the Friday Live Lunch with Mark Zomik presented by our friends at Kedem. All the way until candle lighting time. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Siegel with Avrami. Sunday, it's JM Sunday. Live with Matis beginning Sunday at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Make sure to be tuned in. And of course, Monday morning we start at 6 a.m. Have a fabulous Shabbos. Great weekend, everybody. Until... Next week, Nahum Sigal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.